This is Let's Keep It Real with Sandy Joy Weston, your weekly dose of positivity with awesome stories and guests from all over the world. It's an opportunity to learn some great new things and expand your mind. We'll tackle topics from all areas of life, and as always with Sandy, the sky's the limit. Hello, hello, my Let's Keep It Real people. I think I told you about Raj a while ago. I never can keep up on where he is. Matter of fact, I said to him, I think you're in you're in Toronto. He's like, no, I'm in India. So before I even read your bio, Raj, thank you so much for staying up and being here today. It's a pleasure, Sandy. I've been looking forward to this for a while. All right. So let's just jump into first, what is your one word? One word to best describe your past 30 days. I don't care whatever pops in your head and then why you picked that word. Well, the first word that came to mind was hectic. And the second was travel, but hectic because I was in Toronto and then I had a couple of clients in New York and then a couple of clients in Boston. And then I flew out of Boston to India. Um, And it's like, it's been ton of logistical coordination around that. it's it's really interesting. So every time I plan a trip, I I, I I pack pretty light. And I have this idea of like, before I leave the house, I'm going to look for in my bag to see whether I have the most essential things that I cannot replace for the trip. Makes and, sense. Right? Yeah. Right? Like typically if it's an international trip, like, you know, even if it's from Canada to the US, the most essential thing is the passport. Everything else you can, you know, either re- replace, buy, whatever. Like okay, cool, but if I'm if I'm on a trip for clients, then I also need my camera, uh, so on and some basic camera equipment yeah. I need to remember to pack, right? And so for this trip, it was like the list of just the essential equipment or essential things I need to carry was like longer than I ever ever had thought of. It's like back for New York, back for Boston clients, back for India trip, and like it's like. Oh my God, that's a lot. <laughs> that's why I have the word hectic. Yeah. But do you like traveling in general? I do. I do. I do enjoy traveling when it's a mix of like work and pleasure. I don't enjoy just for work. Uh, okay. But, but uh, you know, so I don't like purely business trips, but business trips to a place where I can also walk around and enjoy and, you know, do stuff and eat good food. Like, yes. Yeah. So in India, is this pleasure? Is this just for family or business too? Not work per se, but uh, it is a, it is family and work in the sense that uh, I inherited an apartment from my parents. It's the apartment I grew up in, in Mumbai. Uh, My parents passed a few years ago, and this apartment has just been sitting there, except in the last few months, uh, somebody, someone I grew up with offered to buy it from me. And I'm here in the process of trying to finish it off, that transaction, which means I'm basically drowning in lawyers and accountants and banks. And yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You know what it takes to, you know, even even though we've done much for the work in advance. Uh, but it's just like, so, you know, do you call that business or pleasure? But, you know, a little bit of both, I guess. 
yeah, yeah, that's that's business. <laughs> that's business. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, but... pleasure become business. I have so many yeah. questions about this, but before we get into that, let me just tell them a little bit about you. Raj is a personal branding photographer based in Toronto, though he travels all over for work with clients. He's a recovering. I got to hear more data scientist and software engineer who decided to change careers in his mid thirties after his partner came out as a trans along the way, I got to meet him too, them too. All along the way, he also trained as a sex and a relationship coach. I did not know that he's passionate about creating a safe, supportive and joyful space for his clients in front of the camera. I just want you to know, Raj, that is one of my favorite, favorite, favorite bios, because it gets a lot in there and there's so much to unpack. But let's start uh, with the biggest question, because that's a lot of life you lived in there, which means to me, as a photographer, you really are coming, not just with your creativity, but a lot of compassion. And the word comes to me, grace. I I don't know why, because so many people I know, I'm not one of them, but so many people I know really freak out when it comes to, you know, having their pictures taken, especially for branding. Yeah. Like I thought my husband was having a heart attack. It, I'm like, what's going on? It's just our friend, Mary. And she's a friend, Mary Kate coming over. And he was pouring sweat and the guy's yeah. a big time lawyer, but no. So the question I got the most is, is that common? Do people really get that nervous when taking their photograph for branding, especially? I realized that early on how common that was when I started my photography career. And I was in the Bay Area. I was working as a, soft, as a data scientist so in very much in tech and so I started out doing, you know, photography as a, you know, professional gig, uh, career doing headshots of uh, mostly people associated with uh, tech startups. Sometimes so I, I would have, you know, employees of tech startups, sometimes the founders of startups, and then occasionally venture capitalists, the people who are funding the startups in front of my camera. And these are people who are some of the masters of the universe, right? They are yeah, wealthy, yeah. they are powerful, they are like, everything. And I started noticing that regardless of where you are on that, you know, hierarchy of wealth and power and status, 99% of people, uh, when they get in front of my camera, they just go kind of limp and they say, tell me what to do. Oh, they do. And I can't wait to tell my husband. <laughs> yeah. So that doesn't matter, like, you know, if it's literally a billionaire or somebody yeah. who's like, you know, a, an intern, uh, yeah. doesn't matter. And that's when I realized, like, how much people, how much the camera can bring up for people. Mm -hmm. uh, both how much the camera can bring up for, for people and, and inside, but also, like, for the few moments they, they are in front of my camera, uh, there is a power dynamic. I'm in a position of power over them because I'm helping them craft their image. Yeah. And yeah. That, was, that was a very impo important and interesting realization for me that has shaped how I view photography ever since. So what would you do? Like, I know you're not, like, 
you can't tell them because you're not sitting there with them as their photographer. But if someone said to you, oh my God, I have to get pictures taken and I'm freaking a wreck. What would be the first thing you would do to calm them down? Breathe. Read. Read. Breathe. Oh, breathe. I thought you said read. Oh my God. No, breathe. <laughs> so breathing is so, so if there's nothing else that you do, uh, and I know this is going a little bit into tips, but you know, I think we can, no, we can okay. sprinkle Let's it go. out. Uh, the next time you have a camera in your face or the prospect of a camera in your face, the best thing you can do is to breathe. Why? This is one of the things I tell my clients all the time too. Breathing is the best thing you can do for your posing. It's not you know, getting into some contorted fashion pose or whatever. Uh, why? Because when you see photos that look awkward or quote unquote posed, it's often because the person in the in the photo, their lips have become stiff, their shoulders are stiff. So they look like even if they're smiling, they're like, "Yeah, I can't see anybody can see me doing a fake smile." That's because when we have a camera in our face, we often get self-conscious and we get into our heads. We start getting anxious and stuff, and when that happens, we forget to breathe. So, and when you hold your breath, everything gets stiff, right? So when you breathe. Take, you know, in, even when through that anxiety and nervousness or whatever, it helps you come back into your body. It helps to relax your lips. It helps relax your shoulders. And that automatically takes any photo that you're taking or uh, like, like five times better. So was there ever anyone ever that you couldn't relax and said, wait a minute, let's come back tomorrow or maybe a month ever? So there are always people who are easier or harder. I mean, We'll go into that a little bit more. And, uh, you know, it's really cool to talk about what uh, happens in front of the camera, like the psychology of it. But there are always people who are easier or harder. Like think about like, you know, you've done HPS. That's where we met public speaking training. And uh, like, you know, some people are natural on stage and some people need some work or support to help yeah. get, get it out of them. And, you know, our the teachers who taught us were very good at working with both and getting everyone to a better than where they were before, right? Yes, like it's absolutely. not a competition. And I think it's the same thing. It's like some people are naturals on camera. They just love the camera. That's a much smaller percentage of the population. Most of those people tend to be professional models, uh, I think. <laughs> but, but, and most people don't, but to a variety of degrees. And so what I can say is that, yeah, different people have different levels of, you know, start at different points. And I typically, you know, just with a by virtue of the techniques I use can get them to a level of comfort that's better than when it started. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I like that. I like that. All right. So I want to circle back to some of this in your bio. What was it like being a sex relationship coach? I mean, that sounds so like, okay, I get it. Scientist, data, software engineer. Okay, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Whoa, where'd that come from? Oh, that's quite a story. But oh, well, we want to hear. <laughs> yeah. So that the whole sex and relationship thing came because, came around because my partner, uh, who was my wife and now my husband, were navigating, you know, this very complicated marriage uh, relationship situation. Uh, 
you know, like, you know, involving identity and gender transition and all of that. And normally in most relationships, we, you know, especially like, you know, I, how do I even start the story? It's kind of like, you know, uh, there's so much, but let's just say, you know, I grew up in India. I grew up in a fairly like middle-class family. My mom was a school teacher. My dad was a factory supervisor. Uh, I was a smart kid. And so pretty much, you know, I was expected to study all the time. So but even when I, by the time I finished college, I didn't really have that much of like a sexual awareness or anything like that. And then, you know, I'm pretty straight. So when you are a straight, you know, cis person in society, there is yeah. a script that's set out for you. It's like, this is what sex is. This is what marriage is. And, you know, maybe Absolutely. this is what dating is. You know, you meet somebody, you date, you, you know, maybe you, you know, depending on your, your beliefs, you have sex before or after marriage, but some, you know, in some order thereof. And yeah. then you have babies and then, you know, you just build a family and this is what life is like. So all of those things are kind of, you know, they are a preordained thought, right? You never have to question anything. But when I when my partner and I met, we uh, we met 15 years ago. We we were together for a couple of years, and then we started for various reasons exploring the idea of uh, of open relationships. And so that was you know we were living in Atlanta at the time. It was very complicated because we didn't have that kind of community support. It's not it's it was and still is a little bit of a more conservative place in the U.S. and so on. So we were exploring it around and then we moved to San Francisco, which is kind of the playground for anything, anything interesting in, that you want to do in relationships, whether it's around exploring queer identities or gender or you know, all kinds of relationship structures. So we were navigating all that. My partner, he took to it a lot more naturally than I did. And I was flailing around, struggling when I found, you know, this just looking at support, you know, what kind of support I had, what, what, how does this all work? I realized that a lot of that was because I, as a straight guy, I never had to question that preordained path. Yeah. Like, what does sex mean for me? What does marriage mean for me? What does a relationship mean for me? So I never had to question that, right? And most of us never have to. So I started, you know, just following my curiosity around that. And then I found this entire world of sex and relationship coaches who help you do exactly that. So I started working with one, like seeing as them as a client. And uh, that really changed my world because for the first time in my life, I, I realized I could be intentional about this. There are tools, there are skills around expressing, identifying, you know, connecting with your body, identifying what you want, what you don't want, how to communicate it, how to communicate your yeses, your noes, your maybes, and create this entire experience for yourself that is different or, you know, and it's, it's, it's a whole menu of options out there. And that was mind-blowing, right? And then this particular coach I worked with first helped me a lot and then helped me and my partner come up with an open relationship, marriage kind of arrangement that, that has worked for us ever since. And all of that was great. And then in 2016, he came out as trans. Uh, so he's like, I'm going to transition from female to male. So that threw another wrench in the works. And then I was like, okay, I, I need that kind of support again. I was also exploring career options then. And I was like, okay, let me try training as a sex and relationship coach and see what happens. Uh, 
that did help me navigate this particular transition in, in, in our marriage. At the end of that, I realized I wasn't interested in coaching as a profession per se. And that's not just sex and relationship coaching, just any kind of coaching. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a lot. I feel like it's a lot of responsibility. And I it tend is. to get, given my personality, I tend to get sucked into it. I, don't, I, I actually have trouble enforcing good boundaries between me and yeah. my client. And I think if any of you have done any kind of coaching ever, that is always a challenge because you want to help your client, but you also need to take care of yourself and all of that. So I, I, do, I still don't have the, con- the confidence that I can do that, you know, take that responsibility on. But the sex and relationship coaching thing gave a skill set that I, uh, that I realized translates perfectly to photography. And that skill set is how to create a safe space and supportive space for people to be very, very vulnerable. That is the core skill of a sex and relationship coach. It has almost nothing to do with the actual mechanics of sex. It's about how do you create a space where people can talk about things that they feel the most awkward and vulnerable about. And I also started seeing how the things that come up for people in front of the camera, like when I was taking photos of friends or any Mm -hmm. clients and so on, the stuff that comes up for them the, you know, is often exactly the stuff that comes up in the bedroom or in dating, whether it's image issues or insecurities of different kinds or self-worth issues or perfectionism or, you know, a sense of like being, you know, control issues, everything that comes up for people in front of the camera is the thing. The thing that comes up for you in front of a camera is probably the thing that comes up for you in in relationships. And that analogy, seeing that connection may help me translate that skill set from sex and relationship stuff to to photography. I know that was a very long answer to your question. No, Raj, I I was so intrigued. First of all, I didn't know half of that. But you experiencing all that in life, I can see how that makes you even beyond your years for being able to capture the person and who they are and what they want to show the world, you know, cause you, you've been through it, you feel it, you know it. So let's just back up a little bit because first of all, I'm so beyond grateful that you are in my life and that you're this kind of person that really makes my heart say really does and having a son who goes to art school and seeing all the struggles of some of the kids and what they're going through I feel every single day that for me my mission is always about people accepting who they are and what they are you know and not trying to fit in that mold and I think the younger people are getting it I mean A lot of them are getting it, but what I see some of the struggles are when I go down to pick them up on campus and, you know, I I love talking to kids. So I hang out is they still have a need to try to explain it to the next generation and their family because they really want their family to accept them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just not going to happen. It's it's a lot, you know, for them Mm -hmm. to accept. So let me ask you, 
from how you grew up and your life now, were you ever in conflict? Like mayday, mayday, this doesn't make sense. Like, what am I doing here? This is not what is expected of me. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Your family or anything? Definitely. I think I think the biggest conflict was more was with myself. I think that was more more of the conflicts. The the conflict that mattered was with myself and yeah. less of my family. I mean, in the beginning, yes, I grew up in a in a family that was fairly conservative, not religious, just more traditional. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, growing up, like when I I always like to say my. my when I first came to the U.S. after college at the age of 22, my literal life plan was that I would finish my PhD, I would move to the Bay Area, uh, get married to somebody my parents found for me through an arranged marriage kind of system, and then have like two cars and two kids and, you know, a mansion gotcha. from a tech salary. That was literally my, that was what I thought my life would be. And so at each step, I had to, as things evolved, it was a lot of unlearning that dream and replacing it with a new dream, mm. right? And I think we all, as adults, have to do that at different, you know, in different ways, in different uh, parts of our life, some more than others. Yeah. But life is often about unlearning the things that you've grown up with, the dreams that you've grown up with, and then replacing them with new dreams that make sense for you as an individual. I think, you know, different parts of this journey were were like that, where there was a part early on in my life, like in my early 20s, when I even had to get used to the idea of dating as a concept. It's like, oh, wait, I thought, you know, I was going to go down this arranged marriage route and like, you know, that responsibility to my parents. And, you know, help, you know, let them find a girl for me. But now I'm not interested in that, which means, wait, I have to figure out this whole dating thing in my 20s. <laughs> like, oh, my God, that's a lot. That's so a that lot. Was a big, yeah, that's, the, you know, that was that was one. Then obviously all of this, like, uh, I was in a sense, of, I mean, I think I'm all, I've always been a very curious person and non-judgmental. So I've always had friends come to me for advice and all of that. And so accepting queer people, the fact that people were queer was a surprise for me. Like the fact that people existed, I, I had no concept of that in India, really. Oh. Like it was just not, I mean, I'm sure that queer people exist in India. There are lots of them who are, who are yeah, more yeah. Out, out now, yeah. but I didn't know anyone who was out. And also, I think I was just not paying attention. Yeah. And then when I moved to the U.S. and came to grad school, there were lots of openly queer grad students. And I was like, wait, that's a thing? Well, all right, I guess. that's Some men like to sleep with men. Some women like to sleep with women. As it, was, it was a little bit of a surprise. And it took, it took some time to understand it from, in a way mm. that made sense to me and then accept that. So there were like different stages of that. And then the whole like exploring the idea of, open relationships and all that, that, that was a struggle. And then moving to San Francisco where there's such a huge menu of options to explore and then realizing that the world of relationships can, is so much bigger than I thought. That was a struggle. Yeah. But at each point, I think it's a struggle, but it was also an expansion, right? It's like expanding your thought, expanding your worldview, expanding the possibilities. And mm-hmm. I, I really enjoy that. I I can't even imagine. I got to experience it. 
what it must be spending a day with you and you really bringing people out of their shell and capturing who they are. So I have to ask, like when you're in a session, how long does it take? Like, is it some people are just an hour? Do you spend all day? Like, what's the process? Yeah, so a lot of the work that creates that space in a session starts way before the session itself. Ah. And that is something uh, I think we need to realize. Like, and this is true, I think, not just of photography, but pretty much any other service provider, right? Uh, but photog- let's use photography as an example. A lot of, so we think that there is some magic formula. Many people think like, okay, some people are just photogenic and love the camera or some photographers have some kind of magic where they can just walk into a room and make, you know, a person suddenly feel like they're a movie star. And maybe there are some people like that. I don't know. But I think a lot of this, the stuff that happens in my session, the work begins way before in terms of both. There are two kinds of work. One is building trust between me and the client by getting to know them and getting to know each other. And the second thing is actual planning for the session itself. Like, what are we going to do in the session? Right? So let's talk about the trust part. Now, there's this lovely quote I read early on in my photography career, which said, a portrait, a photo or a portrait is actually the image of the connection between the photographer and the subject. So mm-hmm. if I'm taking a picture of you, it's not a picture of you. It's a picture of what the connection is between you and me. And that was a big, like, you know, reading that and getting mm-hmm. that was a big influence for me or, you know, moment of you know, enlightenment in my photography yeah. career recognizing the importance of creating that connection way before I pick up a camera, right? And so that starts with, you know, even when we have our first consultation or whatever, it immediately, it's like, I bring in a lot of my skills as a sex and relationship coach, learning to ask good questions, expressing, you know, creating a space where they feel, you know, clients feel like they're not going to be judged for whatever they say or whatever they express bringing my own vulnerability in and sharing my own a bit of my own story or life in their service to, to create, yeah. uh, you know, that trust and connection, all of that. I'm, I do not believe in this idea and, you know, different photographers and different philosophies around this, that especially in branding, since I'm doing branding photography, branding is about the client's story, right? Mm-hmm. It's not about me, right? It's about the client. Yeah. It's about them telling their story to their audience in their own way, right? So if you are doing your brand, it's about you telling, showing who you are to your ideal client or your ideal audience. So th- my role is just as a photographer is to facilitate that. So I approach it as, this is not about me as an artist. It's like, I'm not like, oh, I'm the photographer who's the artist and I'm going to impose my vision on you and be like, yeah. this is my It's not about that. So I don't approach it that way. But, and that kind of, I'm more like, I'm in this with you and we're going to work this out together. We're going to be partners. We're going to build trust. And you have a, you have a say here. You can, you know, this is, this is a, a, a collaboration. So that starts building trust, right? And then that kind of building trust continues throughout the process in, uh, as we work together. 
So by the time we, we, are, we are at a session, it's almost like we are friends. It, that is automatically a point of relaxation. It's not like, oh, I'm meeting this photographer who's going to like take these gotcha. pictures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's like, oh, I'm just spending an afternoon with a friend. We will talk and maybe take some pictures. And that's what I want clients to feel. While, you know, in my head, like it's the whole like, you know, like, you know, the duck standing under the water, but looking down the surface. But in my head, I'm like, there is a lot of structure and planning that has gone in. But the client, the space that the, that the client feels like they're in is more like, oh, I'm just spending an afternoon with, uh, with someone I, I know and trust and is going to take care of me. That's, that is, is where I, what I want them to come in, even yeah. before we even pick up the camera and do any, you know, photos at all. So that's part of the psychological part of stuff. The other part is what happens during the process with actual planning. Now, one of the fun things is, one of the interesting things people don't realize is whether in sex or in photography or any other aspect of life, the best, the most spontaneous things, outcomes require a degree of planning. It's, right? like, it's like speaking on stage. Like exactly. It looks spontaneous. It looks like looks like yeah. you're just, you know, just kind of speaking out there and doing thing. But you have an idea. Like we've done public speaking uh, courses and you know how much rehearsal and it takes, how intentional everything uh, is, how much planning and, and work it takes to make that look and feel spontaneous on stage, right? At a at a high level. It's the same thing. I mean, people often have this aversion in sex that to the idea of planning sex, but actually the best sex happens when you put a structure around it, when you have, when you have, you know, set time for us, a lot of time for it, when you have talked in advance or you know in advance each other's desires and boundaries, like what you like, what you don't like, you have an idea. Many people also enjoy creating actual scenes or like trying new things or talking about what to try in advance. And then you know, you don't want to script every bit of it because you want to leave. But having that structure often addresses anxiety. And it helps gets people to a point where they're like, okay, now I have this kind of playpen I can play in. Right, there's this yeah. kind of fence around which keeps me safe and then I can play in within that. And I think that's the same thing in photography too. My process, I walk through, you know, when, when my client, you know, we created something called the mood board, which is uh, where my client will collect, collect a bunch of photos that, that inspire them in some way or resonate with them uh -huh. in some way. Then we talk about it in great detail. I ask a lot of in-depth questions about why they put certain pictures in. And these can go into very different, like it may not be very clear right away why I'm asking those questions, because it can, it can be like, why did you pick that color? Or why, what, what about this photo? Like, is it the pose? Is it the color? Is it the background? Is it like something else, emotion? What about it appeals to you? Because I'm trying to get a sense of what is it? How do you see your world? Literally, how do you see your world? How do you see your values? How do you see what you aspire to be? For example, if I tell you like 99% of my clients, actually 100% of my clients tell me they want to look confident, right? I mean, everyone wants to look confident in professional photos, right? But what does that mean, right? Like we have this idea that, oh, 
the you know if you want to look confident you have to like wear a suit and do a weird power pose like some you know folding your hands or like all it and that's what looks confident but that's not true for everyone right yeah. right only yeah. some people can pull off like you know feel comfortable in suits right and only some people feel comfortable in like they actually do a power pose when they feel confident so what does your version of confidence look like right yeah. like like yeah what that is, would not is, be me that would definitely exactly not. Exactly. For some people, you know, confidence, you know, they feel confident when or they associate confidence with somebody walking, you know, gracefully on a beach with a flowing dress or something like that. Right. Like it's it can be very different from what the corporate idea of confidence is. And the idea of having a mood board is I want to get to that shared vision of like what's in your head about how you see the world, how you see these different values want to live by and so we can so again it's going back to the idea of i don't want to impose my vision of yeah. what confidence yeah. should look like on you i want to help you express that vision of what you see confidence as and then bring it to life in a photo right and so yeah so that's that conversation happens we talk about outfits and props and we talk about the story we want to tell during a session like what is what do you want to show about yourself? What's a a story with an emotional arc, just like a speech, right? A speech needs to have an emotional arc. You know, we talk about emotional contrast. I see photos in the same way. A lot of times, we expect photo sessions like are the ones I did when I was growing up. A lot of people have done or like you walk into a session with a bunch of outfits and then there's a photographer who's like, okay, put on that outfit, go stand yeah. in that wall, against that wall, sit on that couch and smile. And just do that and smile, like it's all just kind of random, right? But what if instead you actually planned a story for your session? You'd say, I'm going to express this particular story from my life or this particular, like how a session with a client goes and the arc of their journey during a session. And I'm gonna and we'll capture all of the emotional moments of that journey in photos. So then you get these variety of emotions of like. What does, you know, emotional contrast, like everything from somber, difficult moments or challenging moments to very uplifting moments or mm -hmm. moments of triumph or moments of confidence or pride or whatever, like because every arc has, story arc has these, this like mm -hmm. an emotional variety, but it also gives you a structure. It gives me a structure for the session. It's not like just putting people randomly against walls and telling them to smile. It's about, okay, now, we talked about this part of the story. Let's move on to this part of the story. Like, how do we capture that? How, how the, what's an outfit? What's a prop? What's a pose? What's the setting that will help us capture or express that through your body? Uh, so all of that planning that we do, wow. in addition to that, also helps people relax and express themselves. Because now they feel like, okay, I know what's going to happen in this session. This is not going to yeah. be like, you know, weird, like, you know, random stuff that I, that I just have to kind of you know, go along with, or, you know, yeah, yeah. it's a mystery. It's, it's, there's a structure to it, which makes them relax. And again, that creates the room to be spontaneous and playful. Raj, I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> I need to experience this. I mean, this is freaking awesome. But I do see, and I've looked at your work, that I can only tell by people I know. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so them. And I can see it. And, you know, it's incredible, you know, 
and I and the people I know, you know, that yeah. you've done. It's like I didn't know all that went into it, you know. All right. Yeah, <laughs> it takes a, it takes a lot of uh, planning and preparation and work to, as you know, like help somebody be themselves on camera. All right, so I got to get some of these questions in, or my peeps are going to kill me. And the number one question I got, which now listening to you, I guess it's individual. It was about which pose is going to, I mean, the power stance they kept asking about. But I think you answered it. So posing is such an interesting thing, right? Like, I have a whole spiel about posing. I don't believe in posing, first of all. Like, and that's often controversial when I talk about photography. But I don't, I don't, I don't believe that there is this magical set of poses that are out there that will automatically, you know, just make your photos better. Yeah. Like, think about it this way. Before photography, there was painting, there was sculpture. Like, human beings, artists have been portraying human bodies in some form or the other since human beings came around. Like, pretty much since we were cave people. Like, you know, painting on caves, we've tried to depict the human body. Right. Most of the time, the purpose of those paintings or those sculptures or any or those photos for the vast majority of the times has been basically, how do we put it? To take bodies that are quote unquote young and pretty and depict them in a way that is appealing, most often sexually, to older men. That is just reality. Hmm. Like that is the often what art, you know, purpose of painting will take beautiful, like, you know, whatever we consider beautiful in bodies, whether it's, you know, young, you know, curvy, you know, muscular, whatever form it takes. And artists tend to be often throughout time have been older men or their patrons have been older, rich people, mostly men Hmm. who want beautiful young bodies depicted for their viewing pleasure. Right. Now, and most often for, you know, that pleasure has a sexual component to it, or at least an erotic component to it. So when clients talk about posing and stuff, I'm like, does, you know, you're doing a branding shoot. Are any of those things true in your case? Are you trying to show your body in an erotic way to that particular audience. And they'll be like, fuck no, that is not what I'm trying to do. And I'll be like, so why are you worried about those poses, right? Those poses, the standard you know, thing poses that we think of have, have evolved for that specific purpose. Instead, what I would think about is, what is the story that you want to tell? We talked about that already a little bit. Yeah. What is the story yeah. that you want to tell in your session? Who do we tell it to? Who do you want to tell it to? And how does your body naturally express that story? It's a story that you've already lived in your life. So how does your body express that story? Your body already knows how to express it in its own way. Let's start from there. And I will tweak what's necessary for the camera from there. So if we want to like, you know, capture a pose of you, like a portrait of you sitting down and working, Let's start with how you sit down and work every morning. Or if you like, you know, I'm like, I want a picture of myself drinking coffee. 
in the morning. Great. We can do that. I do that all the time. What do you look like when you're drinking coffee in the morning? Let's just start with that. And then I will make the tweaks necessary for it to show up on camera. And then, because that's my job, because then we get a photo of you. That is really you. Mm. enjoying your coffee, not you looking like some celebrity enjoying their coffee. Yeah. Because your audience is not trying to like, you know, they are there to see you. They're there to connect with you, especially when you're doing a branding photo session. Yeah. When it's yeah. part of your brand. Right. So we need to start, or at least I believe that I, I want to start from how your body and your face expresses your story and then, build from there. That's my approach to boxing. Raj, I love it. I, I mean, you're totally giving me a whole different way of thinking about it. Like I didn't think of it that way. I mean, I got, you know, the fact that you you want to be relaxed and you have to trust the person on the other side, but I never thought of it is like you're telling a story mm-hmm. and it's your journey of life. And that, and, and now that I'm thinking of it, I remember not for me specifically, but, you know, being at different networking events and people yelling and correcting me because I wasn't standing the way they wanted me to stand. And then I look at myself, I'm like, oh, that so wasn't me. Like, I don't yeah. even look like me. Yeah. And I wouldn't do yeah. that. Exactly. A lot of my clients come with me, you know, when they, when they have their mood boards, they'll have photos on there and they'll be like, okay, I, you know, I picked a photo of this celebrity, you know, and then this particular pose. But I, you know, she's, they'll be like, like, there's this, there's this client I worked with recently. She's a woman in her, in her, you know, late fifties. And she picked several photos of these women who are sitting on chairs or like, especially like higher, like stools or whatever, or with their legs crossed in a certain way. It's a very common pose with their legs crossed and and their hands and their hands crossed in front of each other. And she's like, I've tried doing this pose before and it never really turns out feels right to me. Like, she's like, every photographer has, has done this. And she's like, the, she was like, so I was like, okay, do you, do you even want to try that? She's like, I feel like I, I, I should be able to do it. But I, every time I try to do it in previous shoots, it just doesn't look right. And I'm like, okay, what's happening is probably that the photographers have been doing this she has worked with in the past, have been doing the standard versions of the poses from, you know, whatever the celebrity yeah, yeah, yeah. poses are. And it's not looking right for her because maybe that's not the way she normally sits and she's uncomfortable. When you do something in your, with your body that's uncomfortable or that's not what, it's far from what you normally do, you are going to be uncomfortable. And unless you are a professional model, there is almost no way you can, you yeah. can not show that yeah. on camera. Yeah. So what we what I did in the session was try, you know, as we as we got to relax and work a bit, we pulled up a chair and I was like, all right, just play with this chair. Uh, you know, we'll just move around, like, you know, imagine this chair is like a prop and or, or a toy. And we started capturing these photos of the chair. At some point, she came up and with her own variation of that pose. Oh. Right? which was the yeah. way she sits in that way with her legs crossed and her hands crossed. It's not quite what the celebrity poses look like, but it's her version of it. Yeah. And when you see those photos, it's like, oh, this looks so much more relaxed and natural. Yeah. Right. And so 
that is what I'm aiming for. Like your body has, you know, knows how to express itself. Like, why don't we use that? Why are we trying to fit everybody into these weird boxes of like, your body has to be contorted into these things, these poses that are designed for very young, flexible bodies uh, and that are meant to, meant to please a certain aesthetic yeah. or a purpose rather, and not what you're doing for your branding. so glad you said that all right i, I we bet we're gonna run out of time and i have to ask the question that i got about the exact pictures and what to wear and how to pose yeah. how do they figure out their colors they're like does the photographer help me should i know am i fall spring summer winter so many people get so confused or is that something that you do with them because you might really like a color and go yeah you look gross in that well, not so different clients, you know, there are different stages of their branding journey. Some clients, when they come to me, they have never done any visual branding, whatever, like, you know, any, they might be new in their business or just never have thought about branding that intentionally. Whereas others you know, have been doing branding for a while, like, you know, they've worked with brand strategists and designers and stylists and all of that. So what I do is first, it's part of my intake process. I'm like, tell me where you are in your branding and then... I will give them a place to share what they already have with me. If they don't have anything, that's fine. We'll start there. If they do, then we'll incorporate all of that. Like some clients may already have their brand colors and gotcha. like all of that, you know, their, their entire assets yeah. kind of set up and we'll incorporate that. The mood board that I talked about, which is that representation with like you kind know, of collection of images, that can be a very powerful tool for all kinds of clients. If they have never done any branding before, then that often will give them insights because so one of, you know, one thing that often happens is that people put a bunch of pictures on a mood board. And my advice when I, when they do that is to be very spontaneous and intuitive about it, not to be very like, I'm going to only pick like these five celebrities. Like, no, like just pick pictures that you, that are, that you're drawn to, like use your intuition. Uh, and what often happens is when we look at the board afterwards during our planning session, I'll often have to call that out, but it'll be like 50% of your pictures have this particular shade of blue in them. Maybe that's a color you're drawn to. And they'll be like, huh, I didn't realize that. Maybe that should be part of my brand colors. There you yeah. go. So that can be a way to express that. And for clients who already have those brand colors and stuff, I, I tell them to put that in the mood board. So then, it can come, we can see how it combines with everything else, like and, and like outfits and stuff and so on. And so after we have that mood board, you know, that conversation, in terms of outfits and props and all of that, we go back to that same question. What's the story you want to tell? And then how can you pick outfits and props and the location and et cetera that supports that story? So if you are talking about like, okay, here is what it looks like to be in a, you know, I'm a coach and here's what it looks like to be in a client session with me, then wear something you would wear to with a client in a client session, right? Yeah. Because yeah. you want, you almost want that picture to feel like the viewer to feel like, oh, I'm in a, in a session with this person. They are sitting in front of me and helping me. Like, this is what that feels like. I, you want it to look like that almost like so well that you know so in our and for that part of the story we'll have i recommend use wearing something maybe 
a slightly nicer version of something that you normally wear in a trial session. What I do not recommend, there are a couple of other things that, I, that are interesting with outfits. So, you know, you have the story you want to tell, you get the outfits. Yeah, yeah. I typically want outfits that you, for most of the session, for like 80 to 90% of the session, I recommend getting outfits that you already wear because you don't want to wear a new, you know, get all new outfits and new shoes and then have them be uncomfortable or not well fitted or like something you just kind of don't feel good in. It's like, yeah. oh, this feels yeah. like, oh, or these, I've never worn these shoes before. I just got them for this photo shoot and now they're very uncomfortable. Right. So for 80 to 90% of the session, I recommend having outfits or at least the kinds of outfits that you, that you already wear. You can, you know, have them tailored or whatever or have them better fitted and all that and maybe, you know, a notch or two nicer, but still stay mm. in the comfortable range. And then sometimes like for 20% of the session, but I'll usually have that at the end which, where I'll keep it for experimentation. Because one of the ways I see photo shoots is also not just showing who you are, but who you might want to be capturing that part of yourself who you might want to be in the future yeah yeah and so if somebody says like you know what like I envision myself on stage someday wearing a white suit you know like but I don't know if I can pull that off I'll be like bring the white suit we'll take some shots at the end after we're done with the shots we know we have captured etc we'll keep like a portion for like fun and experimenting with the white suit. And if those pictures don't look great or feel great, you never have to show them to anyone, ever. This is so fun. Like describing what you do for people and their branding. I mean, there's so much that goes into it, but I now see why you capture people in ways that I, I was like, whoa, I didn't think of them in that way. And that looks amazing. You know, amazing. Like, and Thanks. oh my God. Oh my God. It's, it's incredible. All right. So before we go, I have to ask you while you're in India, you said it was business. Mostly we talk pleasure and I know you're going to sell the apartment, but will you tour around? Like, are you, do you have friends and family there that you'll visit while you're there? So right now it's uh, the biggest festival in India, is, is, uh, it's called Diwali, which is a festival of lights. And it's been over 20 years since, you know, I left for the U.S. And I've, the first time in 20 plus years, I've been back to India at this time of the year. So it's pretty oh. cool to see that. Uh, I, I'm in Mumbai, which is where I grew up. Yeah. I do not have any family. Uh, most of my, uh, ex- I don't know, uh, extended family, cousins, uncles, etc., are in Kolkata, which is on the eastern side of India. So I'll probably make a quick trip this coming weekend to to see them. Uh, and that's going to be the only like, tour uh, like, yeah. traveling I do this time because so unfortunately, it's mostly business. I know, but the Festival of Lights, that sounds so awesome. That's pretty awesome. It is beautiful. Is it... Yeah. Oh. Okay, so one last question before we find out how they can find you is... What do you do to get your head in the game? Because as we were talking a little bit before mm. we came on, not every day, you know, you wake up going, woohoo, but, you know, you have a session and you have to be on. What do you do to reset your mind? Yeah, that's really, really good. 
question because yeah, you're completely right. There are days when I'm tired, there are days when I'm just not feeling it. Uh, and then there are different clients. Some clients are like, you know, I'm excited and, you know, this is reality. We all have to, you know, on LinkedIn, we act like we're excited, exactly equally excited to work with each and every person that comes our way. But sometimes it's like, you know, there are some, you're like, yeah, it's like I'm looking forward to this. And there's some like, oh, I don't know, like well, what yeah. this is going to result in. And that's all, that's always true, right? So when I'm in a, in a state like that, my best tool is preparation and and planning. I find that I want to be in a place for that session where even if I'm on mostly on autopilot, there'll something there'll be something good that comes out of it. Like mm-hmm. even if my creative juices are not flowing, even if I'm tired, even if I'm whatever, like let's have, you know, so w- the day before a session, typically my sessions are four hours each with an hour for makeup. So it takes up a lot of the day. So typically the evening or afternoon before, I'll actually spend a couple of, I've always allocated a couple of hours on the calendar for prep. And that prep is basically going through every conversation, every kind of notes I've taken on the client, uh, looking at their mood board, looking at our notes on the mood board, often reviewing transcripts from our, our calls or even bits of the recordings from our calls. I basically want to get into a headspace where I'm, as much attuned to this client, the one I was working with next. Just completely in their world. Where I'm like, what does it feel like to be that person as much as I can? Right? So when I walk into that that session with them, I already feel like I know them so well that, uh, that we can just kind of start and I don't have to think too much. So that's one... Uh, I also often will make a short list. Like I'll look over the location we have and like, you know, what are, what are, what are the shots they wanted? What are some of the ideas that I talked about? And then make a list that a Google doc, I just have a Google doc for each client uh, where I have all their notes and mood boards and everything. And I'm, I'm like, I'll make a short list and top. It's like, here are some shots I definitely want to get for this person because it feels, just to me, it feels like that's the way they yeah. want to express themselves. So I'll have that. So during the session, if I'm running out of ideas, if I'm tired, I can always I'll go have that to go back to and be like, okay, like have I at least done? So the short list basically gives me reassurance. If I just do even that much, that'll be something that but that's a good outcome. Uh, so so I think like when when I'm in that kind of phase where it's like I'm not feeling that brilliant, yeah, doing yeah. being well prepared and uh, yeah. and, and planning is is often what I fall back on. What a gift, Raj. What a gift. All right. Well, I have to tell you, I have a whole different view of branding and photography. Like, I had no clue. I had no clue. And I'm so glad that you shared all this with us. I'm so glad that you stayed up to do this. But before we go, how can they find you? How can they reach you? How can they see your work? The best place to see my work is my website. It's seriesaphotography.com. And I'm also on Instagram. LinkedIn is probably my, my social media of choice. I'm okay. there as my name on LinkedIn. Uh, and I'm sure Sandy will share the, the link. Yep, we'll share everything. My LinkedIn and it'll show notes and stuff. So LinkedIn is my social media of choice. I'd love to 
have anyone send me a friend request, just let me know you're coming from Sandy's show and I'd love to connect. Raj, thank you so much. I'm glad we made this happen. You definitely kept it real. And peeps, we would both really appreciate you sharing, liking, and rating it. it would mean the world to Raj and I. And you know what I'm going to say. Until next time. Bye, Raj. And toodles. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share and subscribe if you enjoyed the show. And remember, keep spreading the positive.